hey, it's Ian Altman. People would come to me and say, can you build a community where we can interact with other people who are applying same-side selling to their business? And that's what we built with the Same-Side Selling Academy. Best of all, right now, it's totally free. So go to samesidesellingacademy.com, sign up there, and be a part of the community. And just, I encourage you to be an active member of that community. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, it's Ian Altman. This week, we're joined by Christopher Penn. Christopher is really one of the world's top experts on artificial intelligence. He's the VP of Marketing Technology at Shift Communications, which is a data-driven PR marketing agency. He's a co-founder of PodCamp with Chris Brogan and co-host of the Marketing Over Coffee marketing podcast with John Wall. Um, Christopher is a guy who has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about the biggest misconceptions when it comes to artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about what's going on with artificial intelligence over the next five years and how it might impact jobs. We'll talk about how you can apply artificial intelligence to your business. There's really a ton of information. You're going to love this discussion with Christopher Penn. Christopher Penn, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Share with our audience something surprising that they may not know about you already. Mm, something surprising. Uh, gosh, uh, I practice and have been practicing a Japanese battlefield martial art since 1993. Really? Yes. What's it called? Uh, Togakure-yu Ninjutsu. And how's it different from the other martial arts? Uh, it's a lot more practical in, in very much, you know, the, the old Japanese ninja practitioners were, uh, outnumbered, outgunned, outbudgeted, out everything, and yet they still had to win. And so this art is a lot of, you do what you have to do in order to get home, you know, happy and healthy and, and safe and protect your family and stuff. So there's no tournaments, there's no prizes, there's no competition because it's really hard to to compete on things that are supposed to save lives. And, but you, it's difficult to practice stuff that you know in a in a uh, personal confrontation could be really horrifying as a, as an outcome. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, see. You know what? I love asking that question because I learn something new about people every time. You are recognized really well as 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 an expert on helping people understand artificial intelligence, some of the latest technology innovations, and especially when it, when it comes to the world of sales and selling and leadership, there are a lot of great misconceptions about artificial intelligence and about the various technologies out there. So what are the biggest misconceptions that you see about artificial intelligence and the other emerging technologies? I, I think there's really two. Number one, that is the, the probably the most uh, frequent misconception is that it's magic. It's not magic. There's no magic. <clears throat> it's not pixie dust. It's not something that comes from a fairy or uh, a deity. Artificial intelligence and machine learning and, and deep learning and all these things are based on very old, very long-standing mathematical and statistical principles. So that's the, the first misconception. There's no magic here. What's changed for us? is that things that were uh, academic ideas in the 1970s, in the 1940s, in the 1950s are practical realities today because of computing technology, the internet, and things like that. So that's number one. Number two, I think, is equally important. It, at least in the short to, to near ter to midterm, meaning you know, in the next five years or so, 
AI and machine learning, they're not going to take everybody's jobs. We're not all going to be sitting around like uh, from the, the Disney movie Wally, you know, while robots do everything. It's simply not going to happen because there's still so much uh, that is difficult for, for machines to learn. If you think about a value matrix, I'm going to you know, dust off my consulting uh, skills here, and you draw a two-by-two two matrix with value of the work and variability of the work. AI is really good at things that don't have a lot of variability, so things that are predictable, things that are repetitive, because machines in general are good at those things. So if, the, if there's something that you do in your job that is supremely repetitive, that's something that probably, yes, an, uh, artificial intelligence software, machine learning software will help you do better because it'll do it for you or you can train a machine to do it. <clears throat> but then there are things that are so variable and so different that it's very difficult and very costly and time-consuming to construct a solution for. So a really good example Think about your average garbage truck. Your average garbage truck just drives down the street and picks up trash and puts it in, in the back. And there's you know some variability, but not a whole lot. And that's why you now see actual robots uh, helping out with you know picking up garbage. But by contrast, think about the process of cleaning a hotel room. You have no idea what state that room is going to be, and it could be, you know, someone whose OCD may have like perfectly tidied the room in advance of housekeeping, and housekeeping doesn't do anything other than like maybe wash the cup, <clears throat> or the room could be a complete disaster, and and you know the furniture is glued to the ceiling, and and all sorts of crazy stuff, and so it would be very difficult to build any kind of technology that could deal with that. <clears throat> when we look at the profession, particularly of sales. Because sales is a lot about relationships and interacting with other human beings, there is a lot of variability. There is a lot of very difficult to predict things. And so the idea that you know sales could be completely replaced by AI is simply not going to happen. As long as there's a human decision maker at the other end of the connection, uh, the people who are in the sales profession are going to have bountiful employment in, in the years to come. So those would be my two main misconceptions. One of the things that I try to explain to people is, look, the idea is that you can intelligently use technology to take the more mundane task associated with sales, prospecting, um, maybe even initial communication, and, if you will, outsource that to AI or let AI help you with those tasks to make it so that you're, at a minimum, better focused on the right opportunities – but, you know, is that pie in the sky? It's not pie in the sky at all, in fact. One of the easiest things that um, uh, I work at a public relations firm, and one of the things we're asked often is, so, um, you know, what are our key influencers? What publications do they care about? Well, if you think about this, this is a mathematical and data question, and it's very easy to answer. If you know who the people are that you want to influence, you extract all their social history for the last year or so, stuff that into a piece of machine learning software, extract out all the text from the things that they share, and you build your list of here's the topics that people care about, and here's the publications they care about. And that's something that a machine does supremely well. I was doing it this morning. That is so straightforward that I can do that on a laptop. I don't even need like an expensive, complicated AI to do that. I can do that with uh, open source AI software today. And I think the other thing that's really important is that we, we sort of level set what these terms mean. AI, or artificial intelligence, means having a machine perform tasks that normally would be uh, done by a human intelligence. So if you're hearing the sound of my voice, 
you are doing, uh, you know, essentially computer listening. But then if you are, in, you can understand the words I'm saying, you're doing natural language recognition, natural language processing. If you are listening to this while you're driving a car or working out at the gym, uh, you are doing vision and recognition and, and all these spatial tasks as well. So artificial intelligence encompasses the entirety of the trying to make machines do various human tasks. <clears throat> Inside of artificial intelligence, is what's a broad category called machine learning, where instead of programming a machine to do a task explicitly, you give it the software and then it processes. You are, in a lot of cases, giving it the data and maybe a suggested algorithm to process the data, but then having it learn from itself, having it learn from the, the, the data and making adjustments along the way. So think about forecasting sales, for example. You as a human could probably you know do some some level of general forecasting but with with machine learning which is based on statistics you can forecast much more accurately yeah. and then the third layer of this cake the deep layer of the cake is what's called deep learning where if you were to take all these machine learning techniques and and, and pieces of code and just chain them together into really really long chains and every single change that the machine makes in one link passes its its output to the next link that's called deep learning and that's where machines really start to mimic or exceed uh, the capabilities that humans can do so when we talk about artificial intelligence we're really in a lot of ways talking about machine learning especially when it comes to sales yeah it's interesting because I, I remember when this is many years ago when I was a college student, I was fortunate to study under the late professor, his name is Hal White, and Hal was, you know, anybody who studied statistics and econometrics, there's something called White's Test, and Hal White is the guy behind it, and so I was fortunate to have him as a professor, and Hal was a pioneer in the AI space in neural networks, and they did a study, and when they had done it, I was still a student of his when they were doing the study, and the study was looking at pictures of glaucoma, of a patient's eye with glaucoma, and so they had multiple physicians diagnose the patients, and then they uh -huh. showed the machine you know, thousands of samples of this is glaucoma, this isn't, this is glaucoma, this isn't, and just here's a digitized image, this is, this isn't, this is, this isn't. Then they, they brought in patients, new, and they took a picture of, and fed it to this neural network, and they had, I think it was two or three different physicians examine the patient diagnose as well. And the neural network diagnosed there were 31 patients. I may be off by one or two on the number. There are 31 patients who had glaucoma. And the physicians threw up their hands and said, no, this is ridiculous, because there were only 27 patients, so four of them would have been treated unnecessarily. And, mm -hmm. of course, we all know what happened. Um, within the next two years, the other four patients were diagnosed with glaucoma. And so the physicians went back to Hal's team and said, so what was it? What was the, what was the data point that told you it was glaucoma? And, and he explained, well, it really doesn't work that way. See, we look at a data point and the neural network says the preponderance of all this evidence tells us this guy has glaucoma. So it's the weighted value of all these things tells us they have glaucoma and we as human beings are looking for one or maybe as many as three data points that correlate. The machine can be looking at thousands. That's right. That's right. So where do you see, where do you see machine learning, deep learning and AI playing a role in how companies sell and how they interact with customers going forward? 
So a couple of things I think are immediately obvious. One is what helps nurture along a sale, right? And this is a topic that I think you know we've been trying to answer forever. And it really looks a lot like the glaucoma example. Think about how many touch points there are in a sale, particularly if you're on the B2B side or you have a complex sale like a mortgage or uh, you know something where there's a lot of touch points, a lot of decision makers. There are so many data points that we simply cannot understand that we cannot build a model mentally um, as to that. And we may have things like gut instinct, like, oh, yeah, if, the, if, if you're selling a mortgage and the, the spouse is, uh, is, is not present, you're not going to make the sale, right? Um, but there could be a much, much more to that. So being able to use machine learning to build a much more robust model of what constitutes a sale. Um, this is something that uh, I've been working a lot with for marketing attribution, where I take marketing data, the paths that people take to, to convert, and sort of doing uh, machine learning-based attribution analysis to say, though this is actually – uh, what causes a conversion to to work or not work? Kind of like playing digital Jenga, if you will, with uh, the paths to conversion until digital the conversion. Jenga, I exactly. Like <clears throat> but it's accurate because that's sort of how the technology works: is you pull out conversion pieces until the conversion collapses, and then you start, you know, you repeat this thousands of times with your data until you go, ah, these are the channels that really actually matter. A second thing that I think is super important and so, so so straightforward, it's not easy, but straightforward to do, is much better forecasting. So we know from uh, search data, from social media, from all these things, you know, how people, our customers, are interacting online, what they're doing, where they are, etc. But we really don't use this very well when it comes to forecasting uh, sales and f- forecasting demand. If marketers and sales professionals have developed predictive analytics capabilities, they'll be so much more successful at sales. I'll give you a really simple example. What do you suppose somebody is about to do when they search for the term Outlook out of office? Um, they're probably going to take a vacation or something, something near something, something coming up like that. They're going to, they're going to be away from their office and they're trying to figure out how to set or how to either turn on or turn off their outlook out of office. Exactly. And chances are it's probably to turn it on because <laughs> unless they want a vacation for a year, <laughs> they, they just recently learned how to turn it on, right? Um, so they probably wouldn't search for it to turn it off. So we know this is a behavior. Uh, someone searching for outlook out of office probably is going on vacation. So one of the things I did for um, some, some sales forecasting internally is to take that search term feed it to Google, extract five years' worth of data about when people do this, and then use that with time series prediction to say, when is this going to happen in the next 12 months? It creates a nice little chart uh, week by week of, of the search volume. And we flip that over and say, when are people going to least search for this term? And you get some, some uh, dates for that as well. And now you have a blueprint of, hey, this is when people are in the office. This is when people are not checking for that term. This is when they're not going on vacation. If I'm a sales professional, that's when I send email. That's when I you know, reach out. That's when I pick up the phone and, 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 and do some outreach because I know people are in the office. That is a very straightforward use of predictive analytics that people – you you just think like why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you have that for every quarter? For you know, plot it out so that you know exactly when. Hey guys, I'm going to need you to stay late this week to to you know work the phones because you're gonna we're gonna you know make our quota this week. Uh, by the way, in case anyone uh, listening, uh, assuming the show uh, airs uh, before the new year, uh, the uh, the week you want to pay attention to is February 18th, 2018. Really? 
Mm-hmm. So February 18th, that's when basically that nobody's when on vacation. That week most in the office. That's amazing. I love it. So February 18th. And, and is it safe to say the worst week is Christmas week? Uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's, yeah. Nobody's home. Yeah. The thing is that I don't think most of us think about, oh, here's where I can use this type of technology to spot these trends and these patterns. And oftentimes I think people get stuck thinking of it almost more like, oh, I can just have a bot that handles all my interaction with other people. And, you know, sometimes I feel like if the bot does a great job, it works effectively. But as soon as someone realizes it's it's a bot in today's world, they might tune out because it's a bot. Maybe, but I think the the bigger question somebody should be asking uh, is, if a bot does my work effectively, why does the company need me? Sure. Right? If if you provide no ability to handle that variability, if you provide none of that, none of those relationships and things, right, then then yeah, you if you can replace your entire sales job with a bot, then I would argue you're probably not a very good salesperson. You know what? I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that. So let me ask you this, Christopher. So if an organization's sitting there and they say, okay, all right, so Chris, I'm bought into this idea that we should be using some sort of this technology. So what are the two or three things that people should really look at? If I'm a B2B company, where are the two or three places where I should embrace this type of technology that could move the needle for my business? I think the th- places where you're going to see the needle to move is anything that is a repetitive task. And, and there are thousands of them that in sales and marketing and advertising and PR that we do all the time. And when you look at the task and, and, and sort of score them as to how important is this task and how repetitive is it? Is, is it perfectly repetitive every single time? Then yes, you have a, a strong candidate for automation. Is it highly variable? Then it's probably not as, uh, as good a, a candidate for, for some automation and some AI. Um, Things like forecasting. Forecasting is data-based, or it should be. If you're still doing forecasts by you know intuition and gut, then I, I think you have some problems. Um, when you look at prospecting, how do I find great prospects? That the process for doing that is you know is fairly mechanical, so, and that is clearly something that's a very high-value activity. Um, but there is opportunity there to automate that. So, is it repeatable? And is it valuable? Those are the, the, the two measures that you should be scoring uh, everything that you do within your organization. So for thinking about prospecting, let's, let's get into the nitty-gritty. So if I'm an organization who's prospecting, let's say I'm selling technology solutions to large companies. Um, so one of the things that I would say is, look, so the first thing you have to look for is symptoms or conditions that are going on within that company. So it's not enough to say, oh, they're a company of this size or this number of employees. That's like the table stakes, the bare minimum. But it's more, here are the conditions that might be going on in their business. Here are the frustrations they might be having. It might be organizations who are hiring a lot of people or who are opening new offices um, or things along those lines. So what types of technology could I use to better prospect? I would actually start even before that. I would go into your customer service inbox and your and every sales representative's inbox and extract every single email that has ever been sent to you about essentially the, the products or services that, that you sell. I would put all that into a massive pile 
and then use what's called natural language processing to extract out the topics and the themes from all those customer contacts. These are people you already know. They're interested. They have um, some intent or they're already paying you money. And from that natural language processing, uh, you will develop an understanding of the words, the phrases, the context, the, 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 the topics and the themes that people use to talk about the problems they have. Because in an awful lot of cases, when I get cold pitches, um, they are not great. They don't speak my language. They don't say the things that I would say as a person, uh, you know, looking to solve a particular problem. Uh, and they are they typically are very, uh, we would call that, uh, you know, sender centric or sales centric language. Um, as opposed to using the the data that you already have that you're sitting on, extract out. Like these are the words that people use to describe this problem. If you're selling B two B B two B telecom product, you might say something like uh, uh, cloud based, right? But if the rest of us are saying virtualization, uh, we have a complete mismatch, and your cloud based sales pitch is going to go nowhere. Uh, if you talk to me about solving my virtualization problem, hey, uh, okay, maybe you know what you're talking about. So even something as simple as that taking the data you already have, and then mining all the data that is out there in things like discussion forums and social media. How do people talk about your problem? Uh, see if there's a, a difference. So if you have the external discussions like from Quora.com or Ask.com or all these you know, Q&A sites and social media about your, the problem, and then you have your internal conversations, what's the overlap and then what's the gap between those two sets of of discussions people are having? Is there a market opportunity that you're missing? Is there a language opportunity you're not talking about uh, that you should be? And that's a, a very practical example of how you would use, in this case, uh, natural language processing machine learning technology to solve a sales problem. Like, hey, why are people not responding to my pitches? And Christopher, one of the things that I'm guessing right now my listeners are saying, yeah, that's all good and well, but man, it's going to be so expensive to do that and it's going to take forever. So What's the level of effort and the investment for someone to do what you just described, to literally go through and say, look, here's a dump of what we have in our customer service database. Here's a dump of what we have in our salespeople's database. And now pull out this language. How long is it going to take someone to do? And you know, what's the relative cost of doing that? So I did that recently as a project for a financial services company. They wanted to know how to sell a certain financial services product better. So we did all the extraction and stuff like that. And the project took four weeks total from beginning to end. Um, and the cost was about $25,000 to do that. If you're selling telecom systems, if you're selling you know, B, B2B uh, systems uh, yeah, that are you know, like a, a server or a cloud system that is worth you know, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, that's short money to, to adjust your sales process and to, to substantially change how you talk. Now, I don't have results on that campaign yet because we literally just handed it off to the client uh, not too long ago, and we're still waiting to see what comes back. But in other cases where you've we've done things like automation prediction, we've seen uh, we've seen tremendous impact. Something all along the lines of you know twenty percent growth in revenue uh, for year over year for those same terms. Or we had one other case um, where we provided a predictive forecast on sales, and we said here's where your sales should be in the timing. And the client intentionally said we're not going to do that. And to date, they are fourteen percent down year over year. 
Yeah, well, you know, welcome to our world. It's uh, I always laugh because people say, oh, my God, you know, I saw this company doubled and that company doubled. And are there companies where this stuff doesn't work? And I said, yeah, I can give you several companies who took all the information and did nothing with it. And, and they haven't seen great results. The people who actually do the work tend to benefit. And the people who talk about doing the work, well – they get to talk about results without actually seeing them. <laughs> exactly. So, so there, therein lies the challenge. So if if somebody, you know, assuming my audience now, and if they're not, then they need to re-listen to this. But assuming people say, okay, I'm bought in and I want to do this, what's the first thing that businesses should should do to kind of take a take a step forward in this world and start introducing this type of technology into their businesses? So we talked about sort of the prioritization matrix of sure. what is repeatable and then what's valuable. The other thing is do you have the ability to do this yourself or do you need to either hire or um, bring in outs- outside resources? And the three roles that you're going to need to do this well are um, developers, data scientists, and marketing technologists or technologists in general. People like to talk about how data is the new oil, uh, and that's a great analogy because – if you think about crude oil, it's useless. It's smelly. It's disgusting. It stains everything it touches and kind of doesn't really – it's not useful. That's your data, right? And you still need to extract that stuff out of the ground, but then you need to refine it. You need to process it. You need to turn it into a usable product like gasoline. But even that, the can of gasoline is not helpful until you put it in a, into a car or a truck or something and you go somewhere. So the developers are extracting the data. The data scientists are refining the data into usable business products. And then the technologists have to take that refined – those uh, analyses and insights and, and turn it into strategies, tactics, and execution on the business side. So that's kind of the layout. You need all three roles. For bigger companies – you kind of want to do it in that order, extract, transform, and then deploy. For smaller companies, you almost want to go in reverse order because you don't have the ability to hire all those people all at once. So you want to hire the technologists who can find easy wins with, you know, with relatively small technology first. And then as you grow revenue, you can then back into hiring those other roles. This is not an inexpensive proposition. Um, the data scientist portion in particular is extremely expensive on a person basis because there are so few credible data scientists. Uh, one study by IBM said uh, in the machine learning space, people who understand data science and machine learning number about 10,000 on the planet. Um, and there are something like 14,000 marine biologists. So there are more people who understand actual whales than there are who can you know, bring this stuff to market. Yes. But but you know what? That's the that's the key to all of it is because you know data with that insight is just a bunch of data. Exactly, and it's, um, it's crude oil. Yeah, exactly. No, you know what? I love that metaphor. It's great. So so what's the best way for people to learn more about what it is that you do? And I'm sure there's going to be people wanting to reach out and learn more about um, about what you guys are doing in your world. So if you check the show notes for this episode, there'll be a link to a, sort of a, a white paper that you can uh, download and read through. Uh, we'll make sure that, uh, that that's part of this. But also, I would encourage you, 
to to subscribe to various different blogs and uh, particularly the, the ones that are in the machine learning space and start reading up even if you never run a single line of code you still want to understand the space overall and there are the, you know the usual suspects that are doing a good job of talking about the stuff the mckinseys and the gartners of the world that can at least help you get that that preliminary understanding the other thing i think is is super important is you talk to people and companies who are actually doing the thing one of the biggest problems in the space overall is that as we started off the show, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of theory. There's a lot of, oh, this is the future. And there's not as much, hey, I just did this thing. Um, so to the extent that you can, you know, as you're attending events and stuff, ask people how they did the thing. Ask people, you know, what are, what have you got in market right now or what's in production right now? And that's uh, that will be that will help you understand who's got the goods and who doesn't. Fantastic. So, Christopher, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight. We'll have, um, we'll have how you can get in touch with Christopher in the show notes, as well as the link to the white paper and all sorts of other great information. So I really appreciate you for sharing this enlightening insight, and I'm sure people's wheels are spinning uh, as they're listening. Uh, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. Wow. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. Remember, artificial intelligence is not magic and it's not futuristic. It's here now, and you got to figure out which of those levels you can apply to your business today. Over the next five years, artificial intelligence will create jobs rather than taking jobs. And the idea is you want to think about repetitive tasks or analysis that artificial intelligence can do better than human beings can. In fact, I've talked to some people, we've got some other episodes coming up of people who use artificial intelligence to do language processing to determine what makes good salespeople and what doesn't based on their conversations. Remember, this show gets a direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should have on the show or a guest that you're dying to hear from, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.